0: Good morning. My name is Matt Frey. On behalf of PCPC, I want to extend a warm virtual welcome to you for the Tuesday Morning Men's Bible Study. Uh, This is the first of an attempted uh, set of virtual messages, virtual lessons over the computer uh, in the midst of uh, the virus pandemic um, that is shutting down all kinds of things. Our desire is to continue to study God's word, um, to even attempt to do that together um, through our series on Hebrews chapter 11. But of course we can't gather together in the fellowship hall. Um, We miss the dynamic of fresh coffee and donuts, which is a big bummer. We miss the dynamic of gathering around tables for prayer and reflection questions. Um, so those things are certainly different, but uh, I'm grateful that we can continue the discipline and the nurture of regularly, faithfully studying God's Word together. And so I'm grateful for we're able to continue it in this way, even though if it's a little bit different. Before we begin, just one logistical note. Since we're not gathered around tables this morning, uh, we're missing out on Uh, two of the elements that are so crucial to the Tuesday Morning Men's Bible Study. Number one, we're not able to discuss the passage together in the same way. Um, So you'll see on the website there are personal reflection questions, but uh, encourage you to reflect on the passage that we're studying personally in uh, the hours and days to come. Uh, even while we don't get to dialogue about it together around tables. Second, we're missing time to pray together face-to-face. But I don't want uh, the face-to-face absence to discourage you from praying for each other continuously. And so if you have prayer requests, um, I'd encourage you to connect with the guys that you normally gather with around your table on Tuesday mornings text them, email them. Maybe you can set up a, a FaceTime or a Zoom call um, in order to encourage one another. Uh, make use of all the different communication tools we have at our disposal to stay connected in prayer and encouragement, especially in these weeks of, of upheaval for our jobs and our health and our families. It's much more important, much more urgent Um, to stay connected and to pray with each other. And so I encourage you to continue doing that. This morning, we're continuing our series on Hebrews chapter 11, called By Faith, Believing God in an Unbelieving World. And this morning, we are going to consider the faith of Joseph. From Hebrews chapter 11, um, one short verse focused on Joseph's faith from Hebrews eleven verse twenty-two. Hebrews eleven twenty-two says this: "says by faith Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the Exodus, and of the Israelites, and gave directions concerning his bones." I love the story of Joseph uh, from the Old Testament. Um, the story of Joseph happens all the way back in the beginning of the Old Testament, at the end of the book of Genesis. It's chapters 37, beginning with uh, dreams that Joseph receives while he is living in Canaan with Jacob, his father, and his 11 brothers. Um, It stretches from Genesis 37 all the way uh, through to Genesis chapter 50. The story of Joseph there through those 14 chapters is one of the longest character profiles in all of the Bible, a continuous look chapter by chapter through this man's life. And uh, in that story, we see incredible suffering in Joseph's life. And really, the story of Joseph sometimes dominantly, if not exclusively, is looked to as an example of suffering. Joseph suffering the betrayal of his brothers um, who sell him into slavery. Joseph suffering um, the neglect of people who are with him in prison. He suffers even before that. um, The injustice of being accused of a crime that he didn't commit and put in prison. Uh, Again and again, Joseph in his life is living a life of suffering. But the story of Joseph isn't only about suffering. Um, It also includes important themes of wisdom. Um, Joseph being given wisdom from God to exercise in the positions of authority that he was given in Pharaoh's government in Egypt. Um, And so it's an incredible story of the exercise of wisdom especially in the context of divinely ordered leadership, even wisdom in leadership in a culture that is unbelieving. And so there's incredible lessons to be drawn from the life of Joseph in that way, as well as important lessons about God's sovereignty in the midst of all of life. Even God's sovereignty in the midst of... um, the sins that other people commit against us. So not only suffering for general reasons, but even suffering in the midst of sin. And so there's the very famous, important statement at the end of Genesis chapter 50, (coughs) excuse me, at the end of Genesis 50, verse 20, when uh, Joseph's brothers are appealing to him for forgiveness for the wrong that they've done to him. It says, Joseph Said to them in verse 19 of chapter 50, Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I'm in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and for your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph, there in verse 20, has this amazing statement that. What other people, what his brothers meant for evil, God used for good. That there's this compatibility, that's the theological term, is compatibilism. That there's compatibility between evil that people commit against us and God's good sovereign plan. That in God's mysterious sovereignty and providence, both of these things fit together together evil purposes, and also God's divine, good, sovereign plan. So an amazing series of lessons are found in the life of Joseph. The one that Hebrews 11 focuses in on specifically, um, as we read, is this lesson of faith, of faith um, that looks to the future in confidence that God's promises will be fulfilled. Faith throughout Hebrews 11 obviously is a big deal. It's the focus of the chapter. Um, There are a couple ways in which Hebrews 11 encourages us to have backwards-looking faith. For instance, at the very beginning of Hebrews 11, the author commends faith that looks backwards to understand and believe how it is that God created the world. Verse 3 of Hebrews 11 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. There, the author of Hebrews commends us to believe what God's word says about how God created the world in the past. That we are to believe by faith, since we weren't there, believe that God really did create all things and created them by the word of his power. And so faith looks to the past, trusting that what God has said is true. Here, though, um, and dominantly throughout Hebrews 11, the faith that's being commended in Joseph, in Noah, in Abraham, in so many of these characters is a faith that looks to the future. A faith that looks to a future that's unknown and unclear and unlived yet, and trusts God's promises for those future days. And so, for example, in verse 7 of Hebrews 11, we read, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. So there Noah, having not seen yet the events that were going to take place in the flood, believed God's word of what would happen, In a general way, believing that a flood was going to come, and Noah acted in faith in that future event. Similarly, in the very next verse, verse 8, it says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when the place he was called to go out to, sorry, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going the very same principle there for Abraham. God indicating to him a general path, a general promise, and Abraham called to believe and to obey in what God was going to do in the future. He didn't know the details of what God's plan was going to bring, but he was called to walk in obedience, not knowing where he was going, but knowing that God was leading him somewhere. And so similarly then, in verse 22, Joseph is commended for a faith where where two things happen. Joseph's faith in the future, uh, faith for the future, uh, involves two things, it says in verse 22. Number one, that Joseph makes mention of the exodus of the Israelites. And number two, that Joseph gave directions concerning his bones— both things uh, future-oriented. Joseph looking to the future and believing that God would fulfill certain promises uh, in the future, and therefore he speaks of those things. He speaks in particular detail about the Exodus and even about the burial of his bones. To be sure, faith for the future is something that is incredibly practical in our world right now. Everyone in these days is focused on what will happen in the future. And so we see statistical modeling about the spread of coronavirus. We see statistical modeling about uh, stock indexes and trades and the global economy and what will certain bills from Congress accomplish for the economy and accomplish for political stability. Um, We see uh, looks to the future for what what does all of this mean for education, uh, long-term and short-term, and for so many other areas, certainly the practice of medicine and the health of individuals, you and me and others, affected by this virus. Looking to the future and thinking about the future and wondering what the future will be is the name of the game in our world and in our lives right now. It's affecting everything. And for Hebrews 11 to so repeatedly emphasize faith for God's promises in the future, it is unbelievable that in God's sovereign plan, he has us right here in Hebrews 11 during these days, where for weeks in the past throughout the semester, we have been thinking about the need for faith and trusting God's promises and trusting the promises of the word and trusting them even when we don't know the future. Those lessons have been repeated to our ears and to our minds for weeks and weeks now in this semester, in this study of Hebrews 11, and now even this very week thinking about the testimony of Joseph. Joseph um, looking to the future, looking to the future of the promise of the exodus of God's people out of Egypt into Canaan, um, and giving a symbol of that promise in giving instructions regarding his bones. It's an amazing thing that this is where God has us. And so this morning, I just want to make two brief observations about how Joseph's faith uh, for the future um, was shaped. Two observations about how Joseph was able to cultivate in his life Um, or perhaps it's better to say how God cultivated in Joseph's life this future-oriented faith. How did Joseph have such practical conviction and confidence that God would fulfill promises um, to his brothers and to their children, his nieces and nephews, um, for the ages to come? The generations to come. How did Joseph cultivate that kind of faith? Well, first, um, Joseph's faith in those promises is very, very particular. Um, Joseph, uh, his faith for the future was fueled by remembering the past, remembering God's promises in the past, and remembering how God had fulfilled other promises in the past. So think of um, that statement in Hebrews 11, 22, first, under the heading of Joseph's faith for the future being fueled by remembering the past. Um, verse 22, the first thing that that verse says about Joseph's faith, of these things that he mentions at the end of his life, the first thing he says is that Joseph made mention of the exodus of the Israelites, Joseph made mention of the exodus of the Israelites. Now, that happens very specifically at the end of Genesis chapter 50. So flip back uh, to Genesis 50, verses 22 through 24. Um, this is the end of Joseph's life. Um, I'll begin reading in verse 22, and here is where it happens that Joseph makes mention of of the exodus of the Israelites. It says Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh were counted of Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham to Isaac, and to Jacob. That's verse 24, that last verse I read, where Joseph says that God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's what Hebrews 11.22 is referring to when it talks about Joseph making mention of the Exodus. He's making mention of it there in Genesis 50.24, of the day in which his descendants, the descendants of Jacob, these 12 tribes of Israel, um, Joseph and his brothers, that their descendants would leave Egypt and go to Canaan. At the end of Joseph's life, um, God's people, um, Joseph and his brothers, are living in Egypt. They've gone and buried Joseph's father's bones in Canaan. They went and buried Jacob in Canaan. But they've returned back to Egypt. They're living in Egypt. Joseph's in power and in a position of influence and authority in Egypt. But they're awaiting the day when it says God visits them and brings them up out of this land. Canaan, geographically, Canaan compared to Egypt is up um, to the northeast as well as up Um, topographically up into the hills of Jerusalem. Um, And so they're waiting for the day that God would visit them and bring them up out of that land to the land that was sworn to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, That swearing of the land, that promise that God's people would be brought into that land of Canaan, it was fulfilled in part in Abraham's life. Abraham sojourned in the land of Canaan, um, but they never set up a permanent, established family land and national land in Egypt. Not in Abraham's day completely, not in Isaac's day completely, not in Jacob's day completely, um, not in Joseph's day. But the day was coming when the people of God would enter that promised land and remain there that they would build houses, uh, that they would set up a government and build palaces and defend borders and really establish a mature possession of the land. But that wasn't going to happen in Joseph's lifetime. It was promised to Abraham in Genesis 15. Uh, In Genesis 15, um, you remember the story of God causing Abram to fall under a deep sleep. And certain promises were uh, affirmed to Abraham while he was asleep. And one of those promises was about going into the land of Canaan. It's Genesis 15 verse 12. It says, As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. That's the Lord speaking to Abraham about the times of Joseph and about the years that would follow, the decades that would follow, um, the 400 years that would follow Joseph's life establishing the people of God in, in Egypt. So that's what God's referring to there. I will um, know for certain your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. Speaking of Egypt. I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. So even the the theme of where people are buried and when they're buried is embedded in God's promise there. So we'll get to that about Joseph's burial in just a moment. But Joseph's first promise, his first reminder to his brothers and to his nieces and nephews there in Genesis 50 is that the day would come, the day would come that God would deliver them up out of Egypt. Even though their lives in Egypt at that point, were, were good and prosperous because of Joseph's position in the government. They were still waiting for the day in which the promise of God was fulfilled, where they would go to that land that God promised, that land of Canaan, that land flowing with, with milk and honey, that covenantal land that God had promised. Now, Joseph was able to have confidence that God would fulfill that promise, He was able to have confidence because he remembered the promise, number one. He remembered what God had said to Abram from Genesis 15, that the day would come when God would bring them into the land. But think for a moment, what gave Joseph confidence that that promise that he was remembering would actually come to pass? It's one thing to remember God's promises of the specific things that he has promised to us in his word. It's another thing entirely to believe The promise, to trust the promise. One thing to remember it, to know it, um, to be able to articulate it. It's another thing entirely to have a confidence of heart and mind to believe that the promises of God will actually come to pass. And so how did Joseph cultivate that personal confidence and trust that God would actually do it. He trusted it deeply so much that he repeated the promise to his brothers. How did he trust it? Well, you can only imagine that Joseph had confidence to believe the promise of God, to believe this very specific promise of God, because Joseph had seen God be faithful to him personally in his life in all kinds of ways. Joseph had lived a life of incredible suffering for year after year. I mentioned it earlier, the suffering of betrayal at the hands of his brothers, the suffering of injustice at the hand of Pharaoh's wife, the suffering of um, uh, of neglect as uh, the cup bake, cup. Bearer and the baker forget about Joseph while he's in prison in Egypt. Joseph suffered all those things. Joseph suffered um, seeing uh, famine enter the land uh, of Egypt and even the whole region of the ancient Near East. Joseph saw that suffering happen to other people and even to himself, and yet he saw at every step of the way. God used all of those sufferings, Joseph saw, for good. That's the testimony that um, I read earlier from chapter 50, verse 20. God meant it for good. He meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. Joseph understood that all of the circumstances of his life were focused on that particular reality, that his family... Would have food in a day of famine. Unless Joseph's brothers had sold him into slavery, Joseph would have never been in a position to feed his brothers one day. Unless Joseph was in prison, unless Joseph was left in prison, unless Joseph rose to power, unless God gave Joseph um, the ability to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, unless God did all of those things, he would have never been in a position to accumulate food and provisions for people in a time of famine. But Joseph was able to look back over previous years and see that God orchestrated perfectly, sovereignly, providentially. He orchestrated all of those circumstances so that Joseph would be able to feed his family. Joseph looked to the past to have confidence in God's promise for the future. It's by looking to the past, by looking to the past in our lives, remembering events and circumstances where we have been desperate, where we have been in need, where we have needed God's mercy and help and provision, and seeing God fulfill um, and meet our needs. It's when we remember those moments and those circumstances and those events in our lives It's in remembering those things that we're able to have confidence for the future. It's especially in remembering the grand, redemptive uh, salvation history of God's people throughout the pages of God's Word. It's especially in remembering that, that we are equipped to have confidence for the future. And so, for example, in uh, the book of Psalms, turn there uh, with me, in the book of Psalms, Chapter 105, we are called to remember uh, the mighty acts of God, to remember the wondrous works that he has done. And Psalm 105 even talks about remembering God's sovereignty in the life of Joseph. Uh, it's amazing. Listen to this, Psalm 105, verses 1 through 6. It says, O oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, Sing praises to him. Tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and and his strength. Seek his presence continually. And here it is in verse 5. Remember the wondrous works that he has done. His miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. God's word here tells us to remember the works of God in the past, remember his wondrous works that he has done, his miracles, his judgments, the things that he has uttered. We cannot have faith for the future like Noah and Abraham and Joseph. We cannot have faith for the future if we fail to remember God's faithful promises fulfilled to us in the past. We have to look back. We have to remember. We have to recount what God has done if we are going to have the capacity to trust him in the future. We cannot look to present circumstances. Some of you may know that I have tested positive for this COVID virus that is um, surrounding our world. Um, I was tested positive last week, got the result last Friday. It was a huge surprise to me. I didn't expect it at all. I have not had any broken bones, I've never had any surgeries, I've never even had to have stitches, um, and yet this um, bizarre illness um, has, for whatever reason, been allowed to come into my body. If I think just about that present circumstance and think, wow, um, a virus that is severe for some, thankfully it's not been for me to this point, this virus that's severe for some, Why has God allowed it? Um, What will be for me or for uh, my family who I'm in close proximity with in my home? What will be for people I've been in meetings with or um, in conversation with in recent weeks? What will be for others that have um, severe, complicating health factors? Um, What will be for them? I don't know. It's impossible to To look immediately at the present and judge by uh, the circumstances of the moment, um, some of which are often hard, and then from there build confidence in the future. That's a very hard place to be. But if we look to the past, if we look to remember how God has fulfilled his promises in the past, um, there we have a more complete picture of God's work. What we see in the present is an incomplete picture, and it's filled with lots of layers of confusion and doubt. And so we have to look to the past, to those completed pictures of God's provision in order to build a solid foundation of confidence for the future. And so that's where Psalm 105 takes us. Remember the wondrous works that he has done. That's what Joseph undoubtedly was doing, remembering God's works in the past, remembering how um, he was delivered out of slavery out of prison, out of a famine, and given food to eat, food for his family to eat, food for this nation to continue to prosper. Um, Later in Psalm 105, it speaks specifically of Joseph. Um, Beginning in verse 16 of Psalm 105, it says, when he summoned a famine on the land, that's speaking of God, God allows hard things like famines and viruses to happen in his sovereignty. We don't know why, but he does. Psalm 105, 16, when he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron until what he had said came to pass. That speaking about Um, what he had said in terms of the dreams that he had interpreted for Pharaoh and for others. Until what he had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. And then the king sent and released him. The ruler of the people set him free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his possessions, to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. Then Israel came to Egypt. Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham, and the Lord made his people very fruitful. He made them stronger than their foes. He turned their hearts to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. And so he sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. And it goes on and on in Psalm 105 to describe the way then God raised up Moses to deliver God's people out of Egypt. Joseph was given to sustain God's people, and then Moses ultimately to deliver them. The point of all of this narrative, the point of looking at Hebrews 11.22 and Genesis 50 and Psalm 105 is that our calling as God's people is to look to the past, to have confidence for God's promises for the future to be fulfilled. We cannot look to the future for confidence because We don't know all the details that the future will bring. We cannot look to the present for confidence because what we see in the present is partial. It's an incomplete story that God has written uh, as we see it in our lives, as we experience it. We have to look to the past for confidence for the future. The hymn writer uh, Katerina von Schlegel in 1752 uh, penned this hymn called Be Still My Soul. And she writes, Be still, my soul, your God will undertake, to guide the future as he has the past. Your hope, your confidence, let nothing shake. All that is now mysterious shall be bright at last. That's the principle of Joseph's life and Joseph's faith in Hebrews chapter 11. That God will guide the future as he has the past. And so brothers, I'd encourage you this morning think about how has God delivered you in the past? What events in your life can you look to as ebenezers, as signposts, as examples of his rescue, of his provision, of his deliverance? I don't know and you don't know what God is going to do with your health or your business or your family or your investment accounts or your bank accounts or your vocation. I don't know, you don't know, but we can look to the past and see God's faithfulness. Um, Not all that we look to in the past convinces us of God's faithfulness. There are things that we can look to in our past and we wonder still, why did God allow this to happen? But dominantly, we look to the past and you and I can see evidences that God has been faithful. He has been true to his word. And certainly we look to his word and we look to redemptive history in the past. And we know God's been faithful. He was faithful to God's people in Egypt to to feed them through Joseph. He was faithful to God's people bringing them out of Egypt by the hand of Moses. He was faithful to God's people in entering the land through Joshua and the conquest he was faithful to God's people in Canaan, securing the land through the hands of mighty warriors like David. God was faithful to this people ultimately in sending Jesus, in sending Jesus to fulfill all the promises of God's word, all those promises that he made to Abraham of, of giving uh, Abraham a great family, um, of making of Abraham a great nation, and giving them a land to dwell in, and of making Abraham's family a blessing to the ends of the earth. All of those promises were fulfilled in Jesus, in his coming, in his death on the cross, in his glorious resurrection, through now his spirit being poured out in the church, um, his kingdom being spread from shore to shore. Those promises have come true. They are coming true. They will come true at his return again. Now, Um, real quickly, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but the other interesting part of Hebrews 11.22 is what Joseph says regarding his bones. Joseph says that um, in uh, the end of the book of Genesis, he gives the instruction to his brothers um, to carry his bones into Canaan. It's Genesis chapter 50, verse 25. Hebrews 11, 22 refers to it. It says, by faith, Joseph at the end of the life, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. Again, Genesis 50, verse 25. It says, Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. And so Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Interesting, so interesting, because of Joseph's power and position in the government of Egypt, um, he his body is treated uh, as being important and royal. He is embalmed, he is... Uh, put in a coffin or a sarcophagus. Um, you can go down to the Dallas Mu- Museum of Art and see a sarcophagus from ancient Egypt, from actually the the time of Joseph. It's fascinating. Um, but Joseph is given um, that treatment um, by the hand of the Egyptians. It's amazing to think about God's sovereignty in the midst of that. And Joseph, confident that the day would come that his descendants would be able to go up out of Egypt and go to the land of Canaan. He tells them specifically, he makes them swear, take my coffin, take my bones. God's promise is so sure that I'm giving you specific instructions in my last will and testament, as it were, of what you're supposed to do with my bones. For all of us, you know, what, what happens to our bodies when we die is an important consideration. Some of you may have specified to friends and loved ones and even in your will specific instructions about where you want to be buried or if you want to be cremated and uh, where you want that to take place and how you want to take that, how you want that to take place. Some of you may have done that because um, that's important to you. It was incredibly important to the, these patriarchs. Um, Jacob If you look at the end of Genesis 49, Jacob had given very specific instructions to Joseph for where his bones were to be buried, Um, and Joseph asked uh, the Pharaoh of Egypt permission to be able to go up to Canaan and bury Jacob in Canaan. And Pharaoh, understanding that burial rites and burial oaths were important, he gave Uh, Joseph that time off from his job and even sent elders of Egypt and uh, rulers of Egypt and the wealth of Egypt with Joseph in order to bury his father. It's amazing. And so too, Joseph knows his burial is important. Where his bones end up was going to be important to him. And there's even something very practical about Joseph giving this instruction to his descendants. It's not enough for the descendants to simply remember the promise of God and remember that that this statement was given, that this word was given from God to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, that deliverance would come. Joseph knew that his descendants were forgetful people. And so he gave them this very, very practical, tangible, physical memory tool of what they were to do with his bones so that when the day of the exodus would come, they wouldn't leave Joseph's bones behind and they wouldn't forget that God had promised something about that day of exodus. And so it's fascinating. In Exodus chapter 13, 19, it says that that night, that night of that plague coming, that plague of the firstborn coming and destroying all the firstborn of Egypt, On that night when God's people flee, taking the wealth of Egypt with them, and they flee out into the wilderness towards the Red Sea, it says that Moses made sure to take Joseph's coffin. Exodus chapter 13, verse 19. It says this. um, Verse 13, sorry, chapter 13, verse 19. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And so Moses and the Israelites did what Joseph told them to do. And by doing that practical act, they were forced to remember that God was fulfilling his promise. They were forced to remember, we're doing this with Joseph's coffin because he told us to do this. And we're doing this with Joseph's coffin Because Joseph wanted to cause us to remember, to remember that God had made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph, and he's fulfilling it right now in Moses and in the lives of God's people in that day. We have uh, an incredibly similar, practical, tangible reminder of the fulfillment of God's promise to us in our lives today as Christians thankfully it doesn't have to do with coffins and bones. It has to do actually with exactly the opposite. It has to do with um, Jesus' bones being crushed on the cross and yet him being raised again. The practical, tangible, physical reminder that we are called to practice in our day is the practice of the Lord's Supper. It's communion. And now, We can't participate in that right now in these exact weeks um, as we're not gathering together as God's people. Um, That's something I miss and I'm sure you miss. And we miss it for this reason. It is a practical, tangible, tasteable reminder that Jesus fulfilled the promise to rescue us from sin and death. He promised atonement to God's people in the Old Testament. He symbolized that promise of atonement through the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. He accomplished that promise of atonement by his bones being crushed on the cross. And he finally fulfilled that promise of atonement in his glorious resurrection, that resurrection which we'll celebrate in a few short weeks uh, in Holy Week. Um, fulfilled Resurrection Sunday, which will be April 12th. The point being, um, uh, God has given us like He gave through Joseph to the Israelites uh, in what they were to do with Joseph's bones. He's given us a tangible, practical, experiential reminder of His promise to us. And it's a promise that's called that calls us again and again and again to do what Hebrews 11 um, and even the whole book of Hebrews um, commends of us, to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That is the great call of faith for us as God's people Look to the future. Look to the future in confidence. We don't know all that will happen in the future, but we know that every one of God's promises about the future will be fulfilled. We know it's true because we've seen God fulfill his promises to us in the past. We know it's true because we have this tangible, tasteable reminder of the fulfillment of God's promise in Jesus, the Lord's Supper. And so we know that God's promises for the future are true. Um, that in this battle that Satan is waging against the kingdom of God, we know Jesus wins. We know that in all the physical needs and afflictions we experience in this life, that God will be faithful to clothe us. He will be faithful to feed us. He will be faithful to be with us unto the end. We know that God will grant us his Holy Spirit, that he will give us the The victory over Satan, um, that we will be able to extinguish every flaming dart of the enemy, um, taking up the armor of God as Ephesians six promises us, and we know that that great promise will be fulfilled, that the day will come in the book of Revel as the book of Revelation promises that that day will come when the new heavens and new earth come to pass. Um, That great day will come well where God will dwell with us as our God. And he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And we know that this will happen because of what the very next next verse says. It says, uh, He who was seated on the throne, Jesus, said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. These words are trustworthy and true. We can cling to that promise, that promise that God is with us and for us, that promise that God will bring to pass um, the victory of the kingdom of God over the kingdom of Satan and this world. We can cling to that promise that the day is coming when Christ returns, when the trump resounds, when the Lord descends, And until that day, we can say it's well with our souls. So brothers, uh, I know this has been a a little bit of a longer lesson. I know that we've been in various places from Hebrews to Genesis to Psalms to Revelation. Um, But the encouragement for you from God's word today is seek that future faith, that future-oriented faith as Joseph had. Seek it by remembering his promises in the past. Um, pray for it to be fulfilled as we celebrate in, hopefully, a few short weeks, the Lord's Supper together. Um, And endure in faith, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith. Endure in faith, knowing God's promises will be fulfilled. Brothers, I love you. I will be praying for you in the midst of um, all kinds of changes and challenges in life. Um, I'm going to pray now that God would sustain our faith, purify our faith, uh, and encourage us all together to press on in faith during these hard days. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you have us right here in Hebrews 11 today, in Hebrews 11, 22. This morning, I pray that you would encourage my friends and my brothers in the midst of all kinds of pressures and anxieties in their families, in their businesses, um, perhaps even in their own faith in you, um, being uh, uh, um, experiencing doubt and experiencing um, uncertainties, even of uh, what they believe, and, and whether your promises are true. Father, I pray that they would, uh, by your Spirit, Uh, enable them to look to the past, and to look to the cross, um, to look to the fulfillment of your promises in Jesus, and have confidence for today and for tomorrow. Father, we pray that you would protect your people. We pray that you would refine the faith of your people in this age and season of suffering. We pray that we would emerge from uh, our quarantines and our isolations, emerge stronger in faith and in godliness than when we went in. And we pray that you would do this by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good to be with you virtually this morning. Take care.